0: Hi, this is Stuart Weems and welcome to the Investopoly podcast. My goal is to give you simple, easy to understand strategies, insights and tips to help you master the game of building wealth. And in this episode, I'd like to talk about the sexy topic of land tax. Uh, It's a very insidious tax in that uh, when property investors initially purchase a property, uh, they tend to not pay very much land tax, if uh, potentially none at all. Uh, But as uh, the longer you hold a property, obviously, as its land value appreciates, if you've bought well, um, then the uh, land tax liability starts to accumulate and it starts to creep up each year. Uh, And uh, obviously, it will be it's most costly when you're in retirement at a stage when you'd prefer to pay uh, less tax rather than more tax. And so that's why I think it's insidious, because it really creeps up on you. Therefore, what I wanted to do in this podcast episode is really talk through um, uh, land tax considerations. I'm going to go through Victoria, New South Wales and Queensland uh, in terms of their land tax regimes. Um, I haven't uh, uh, sat down and um, analysed the other states' uh, land tax regimes, but uh, depending on uh, whether they have a flat rate or a margin rate system, you're probably going to get the similar sort of themes that from Victoria and Queensland uh, if you're in any of those other states. Uh, and uh, all that my key sort of message, I guess from this uh, this podcast is uh, think about land tax at the beginning. because once you own a property, uh, it tends to be cost prohibitive to change that in the in the future, down the track. Um, and so you will have to live with that ownership structure and its consequences, uh, and land tax could be one of those consequences for as long as you own that property. Uh, so best to think about that at the outset and get it right uh, and plan for these sorts of things because, uh, as I said, in retirement, your land tax bill is going to be the highest it is uh, and it will eat eat away at that income that you might otherwise be relying upon. Okay, so uh, let's uh, kick it off then. Uh, firstly, I want to talk about um, the fact that if we buy high land value properties, that uh, it gives rise to uh, higher um, land tax liabilities. So, of course, a property's value comprises of two elements, being the the underlying land value plus the, the dwelling, so any improvements that are permanently located on the land. Um Uh, And obviously, as we know, typically land appreciates, whereas buildings depreciate over time. Uh, And that's why it makes sense that if you really want to accumulate significant wealth uh, from investing in property, that you should invest in a property that has a high land value component. Now, whether that's a house or or even apartments have an an attributable land value component, but really what you want is more than 50% of the property's overall value to be represented uh, in the case of land value. Now, of course, there are a couple of financial, negative financial consequences of investing in a high land value component property. Uh, and the first one is that uh, high land value properties tend to produce uh, very low rental yields. So the rental income is lower, and that's because uh, renters really don't care so much about the underlying land value, uh, they're more impressed by the size and quality of the accommodation, and that's what renters will pay more for. So, if you've got a house in a great area, but they, you know it's an old cottage that's a little bit run down, um, really valuable property, but most of its land value, you know, renters going to look at that and go, Well, well I, I can just go and rent a new townhouse, for example. I'm not rewarded for the underlying land value. The second negative is um, it obviously attracts higher land tax liabilities uh, which is the the reason for this podcast but remember we have to remind ourselves of the power of compounding capital growth and that high land value component will more than compensate us for these negatives you know it'll more than compensate us for the lower income uh, and the higher uh, land tax if we buy well of course. Um, Before I get into the land tax regimes of the different states and the different ownership structures and the considerations and and so forth, I just want to talk about um, using a company to own property. Now, normally in the past, I've typically recommended clients either own property in personal names or in a family trust or even in a self managed super fund, but really in a company name. And the reason for that. Is that the biggest disadvantage? Is that a company isn't entitled to a 50% capital gains tax discount? Um, So, for example, if you earn or if you um, crystallize a a capital gain or realize a capital gain of, say, $100 in your personal name, and you've held that asset for more than 12 months, uh, you can discount that gain, that $100 gain, by 50%. So that means that you will pay tax on $50 rather than $100. Uh, you will pay tax at your marginal tax rate. Uh, so, if you uh, earn over one hundred eighty thousand, your marginal tax rate, including Medicare levy, is forty-seven percent. So, forty-seven percent of fifty dollars is twenty-three and a half dollars. So, you made a hundred dollar capital gain. You'll pay twenty-three and a half dollars or twenty-three and a half percent in tax. That's if it's in your personal name. Whereas, if if you make that gain in a company the company doesn't get the 50% tax discount uh, and a company's tax rate uh, is 30%. So it will pay $30 of tax on that gain. So really in a company, it pays a tax rate 6.5% higher than in personal name uh, or uh, that really equates to nearly uh, about 28% more tax. Uh, And uh, we know that if we keep a property for a long period of time, the unrealized gain is going to be significant, so the tax is therefore significant and paying another 28% in capital gains tax really doesn't make a lot of sense. So typically we have avoided recommending clients uh, using a company to own property. However, because the government has reduced the tax the corporate tax rate for some companies, um, it starts to become more palatable or more attractive. So a, if, if a company is regarded as what's called a base rate entity, uh, it will pay 25%, a tax rate of 25% this financial year and, and onwards. A base rate entity uh, has two attributes. Firstly, its turnover is less than $50 million. And secondly, 80% or less of its total income is uh, passive income. That means the company has to receive at least 20% of business income, and if it does that, uh, all the income will be taxed at 25%. Now, if you are self-employed um, and you're able to distribute into a corporate beneficiary, this could be a- an advantage for you. If you're not self-employed or you can't distribute into a corporate beneficiary, don't worry about trying to understand what I'm trying to say. It's not going to be uh, applicable to you at this stage. Um but if you can do that, then your rate of ca- your capital gains tax rate will be 25% versus 23.5% in personal name. It starts to become a lot more palatable, particularly if owning property in a company helps you save a significant amount in land tax each year. So it's just a, a, a flag here. Uh, that the change in corporate tax rates um, over the last few years and the final change was made on 1 July 2021, uh, where the, the corporate tax rate for base rate entities dropped to 25%, which is a, a great outcome. Okay, let's talk about the land tax regimes then. Um, the first point is to say that it's a state-based tax, uh, as any sort of property uh, regulation is, uh, tends to be state-based rather than federal. Uh, which means that each state has its own rules. But typically, um, or almost always I should say, your principal place of residence is, uh, does not attract uh, land tax. It's land tax free. Um, uh, but any properties that you own in addition to your principal place of le- residence typically attract land tax, so such as holiday homes, investment properties and so forth. And that's um, consistent uh, amongst all the jurisdictions there. Okay, let's talk about Victoria first. So um, Victoria has a land tax-free threshold of $250,000. That means that you can own uh, $250,000 of land uh, in addition to your primary place of residence, of course, and you won't pay any tax. Uh, If you own more than $250,000, they have a marginal tax rate system, uh, which means that the more land you own, the higher rate of tax it is. Now, it's, I think, really noteworthy to say that that 250 land tax free threshold hasn't changed since 2009, whereas the median house price has doubled uh, since then. So unlike New South Wales, Victoria doesn't index or change their land tax free threshold. So in reality, land tax is actually increasing each year. Uh, in Victoria and also in, in uh, all other jurisdictions as well, uh, joint owners uh, only. Uh, joint owners share one land tax free threshold, uh, so that if you've got uh, a spouse, you know, husband and wife, for example, um, and they own a property jointly, um, they will be taxed kind of as one individual, so one land tax free threshold. Um uh, so if they own two properties and those properties were owned separately, so husband owned one, wife owned the other, uh, well, the, in that situation because they've got sole ownership, they'll have uh, they'll enjoy uh, a land tax free threshold each.. Um, in Victoria, family trusts uh, attract a higher rate of tax. and also the land tax free threshold is 25000 dollars not 250. So really, um, practically, Family trusts pay uh, land tax right from the get go. Uh, as such, it's worthwhile, um, as I've uh, shown, you, you'll see uh, in my calculations, that if you're going to use a family trust to own property in Victoria, you're probably better off to put uh, a separate property in each trust rather than have mul- multiple properties in one trust. Uh, companies in Victoria are taxed at the same rate as individuals. So as I mentioned at the beginning or a, a few minutes ago in the podcast, if you're self-employed and you can distribute into a corporate beneficiary, um, then owning that property in a company could be a, a, a really good result for you in terms of reducing the amount of land tax uh, you have but still keeping it in an entity, um, uh, so out out of your personal names. Um, In the show notes and on the blog on the website, what you will find is I have um, financially modelled a a few different scenarios and ownership structures. So three scenarios, uh, a scenario where a person owns one property, two properties or three properties in Victoria. Uh, And then for each of those scenarios, I've modelled the difference between owning it and personal name or or company uh, versus trust, uh, either one trust or multiple trusts. Um, and uh, so if you've got some property in Victoria uh, going to the uh, link in the show notes or blog on the website um, and having a look at those charts uh, certainly highlights uh, some outcomes uh, at some con- considerable outcomes in terms of land tax future land tax liabilities. Okay New South Wales has a much simpler system. Uh, they have just a flat rate of tax and a tax-free threshold that is indexed each year. So at the moment, uh, for this year, the land tax-free threshold in New South Wales is $755,000, uh, which is um, obviously um, uh, three times higher than um, Victoria, which is uh, which is nice. Uh, any land uh, any land value that's in excess of $755,000 is taxed at a flat rate of uh, 1.6%. The land tax-free threshold of $755,000 is available to individuals, companies, and self-managed super funds, but not family trusts. So that means that if you own a property in a family trust in New South Wales, and that the land value of that property is in excess of $755,000, it means you will pay over $12,000 a year more in land tax, because you've owned that property in a family trust as opposed to either individually, company or, or self-managed super fund. So wherever possible, typically I like to avoid using a family trust in New South Wales uh, to own a uh, direct property. Um, and depending on situation, company or individual names is, is typically better. Um, it's noteworthy to point out that New South Wales has announced it's seeking to reform property taxation, particularly stamp duty, by replacing stamp duty with an annual tax, much like a, a land tax. Whether that has any impact or is going to have any impact on the land tax regime in New South Wales is is yet to be seen, um, so it'd be interesting to see how that plays out. Okay. And lastly, let's talk about Queensland's land tax regime then. So Queensland's very similar to Victoria in that it has a land tax free threshold and then has a marginal rate system. So the more land you own, the higher the rate of tax. The land tax free threshold in um, Queensland is $600,000. Um, and I've got a link to the uh, marginal rates obviously in the in the blog and the show notes. Um Trust companies and self-managed super funds, however, attract a lower rate, uh, a lower tax-free threshold. So for if you own property in a trust company or super fund, your tax-free threshold is is $350,000 um, and also it attracts uh, higher rates of tax as well just like uh, my calculations revealed for Victoria if you are going to use a trust in um, Queensland and you're going to you plan to own multiple properties in Queensland it is better to put one property per trust rather than have multiple properties in one trust and again i have undertaken the same sort of comparison and financial projections uh, as i did for Victoria Um, Again, the link is in the blog and the show notes where I've compared um, uh, only one, two or three properties, uh, again, in various ownership structures, uh, trust versus um, personal name and and so forth. Uh, And so you can view them uh, on the website. Uh, As I said, the links are in the show notes. So there's a couple of other points I think are, are really important to mention. The first one is geographical diversification. You know, because uh, land tax is a state-based tax, it's possible to benefit from the land tax free threshold in each state, Um, and therefore owning, say, three properties across three different states rather than three properties in one state um, will probably result in a materially lower amount of land tax liabilities over the, the course of ownership. Um, now, it's not necessarily the reason to do it alone, um, but of course, we know that some geographical diversification in a portfolio makes a lot of sense as well, uh, not only from investment returns perspective and, and investment risk, uh, but also um, uh, also from a land tax uh, perspective as well. Um, the other thing to, to point out that when contemplating uh, investment property ownership uh, options or decisions, uh, it's important to recognise that land tax is one of only many many considerations to take into account. You know, there's a few non-financial and financial considerations. Uh, so capital gains tax, income tax, and negative gearing benefits. That's that's one asset protection. You know, estate planning, so the transfer of wealth, compliance costs, so accounting fees, setup costs, those sorts of things. Uh, trying to keep things simple. Uh, the ability to borrow and leverage uh, property if borrowing capacity is a consideration. you know all these factors need to be weighed up, um, and of course, we can't just make um, decisions purely to optimize land tax outcomes. you know because the reason is it's important to acknowledge that tax rules can change tomorrow. you know so if we if we go to great lengths, and create a a lot of complexity just merely to minimise land tax today, and then all the rules change tomorrow, then it just doesn't make sense. So it's much better. A better approach is to... Um, adopt an ownership structure that has multiple benefits uh, and and one could include land tax. Uh, That way, if land tax gets changed, well, it's still uh, a good, you know, it's still a good ownership structure, a good outcome um, because you haven't just solely focused on land tax. And and I would say that's true for really any taxation. Um, Taxation is a really major consideration, but obviously there are other substantial considerations to take into account. And to wrap up, as I said at the beginning, Um, uh, changing the ownership structure of a property after you've purchased it, particularly some years down the track, uh, is almost always cost prohibitive, you know, because it can um, give rise to stamp duty and capital gains tax consequences. And that that just makes it uh, inefficient to change the ownership structure. So therefore, it's really important you get independent financial and taxation advice to make sure that you get the ownership structure right when you first purchase the property so you don't have any regrets in the future. So that wraps up my podcast on land tax, a a topic that's almost as uh, enjoyable to talk about as COVID really, but uh, it is a bit dry, but um, uh, something that we really need to think about. Um, As I said, it it can really sneak up on you and and can be a a really costly tax in the long run. Thanks guys. I hope you're enjoying the podcast. If you do, please uh, share it, uh, leave a rating, subscribe, whatever you need to do. Uh, Greatly appreciated. Until next week, bye for now.